Welcome back to the Discovering Commercial Real Estate Podcast. We have president of PD Properties, Alad Jor, here with us today. Since founding PD Properties, Alad has worked in the acquisition, financing, asset management, and sales of over a billion dollars of real estate throughout the United States and Europe. He's also been involved in the leasing of over half a million square footage of commercial real estate throughout New York and Seoul. Elad manages the day-to-day operations for the firm and oversees new business development. Elad also oversees the property management division, which started in 2014 and manages residential and commercial properties in Manhattan. Prior to starting PD, Elad worked at the Morning Group for 11 years, where he served at the, as the director of residential assets. And in this position, he oversaw asset management, leasing, strategy, and the sales portfolio of over $800 million in closed sales and managed approximately 2,500 2, luxury retail apartments. Elad, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate you taking time out of the day. Thank you for having this. me. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. And uh, before we get into business, um, let's, let's get a little sense of your background. So where are you from and why did you get into the industry? I was uh, born in Israel. I grew up in Queens till I was nine. Uh, my family then moved to Manhattan. Um, I went to high school in Manhattan. I went to Baruch College. Okay. While I was studying in Baruch College, um, my parents, as you know, good immigrant uh, Persian parents, said okay. that I should be working while I was in school. Um, I'm my background. My family's Persian. We were part of the Persian Jewish community that was in Manhattan. Um, we have a close family friend, Joe Moynian who was kind enough to offer me a part-time job while I was at school. Um, not just myself, but <clears throat> other friends and family that were in the community. He, uh, he took uh, a few of us under his wing and gave us all an opportunity. So I started working part-time for him while I was in school, going to school two days a week, going to work three days a week, or vice versa. Going to school three days a week and working two days a week. Um, I did that from my sophomore year of college through senior year. And once I'd graduated, it turned into a full-time opportunity. Got very lucky. Amazing. And um, <clears throat> so Morning Group is a world-renowned firm. How would you recommend a young professional look to break into such a firm like this? Again, first and foremost, I was very lucky from uh, having a family connection. Right. Uh, I think if somebody has the opportunity or, or any connection through family or friends, mm-hmm or something like, uh, something like that to, to have the opportunity to reach out and ask for, for an opportunity or a recommendation or any help you can get that way. I think that's first and foremost the, the best way to go about. Um, if you're in school, you know, if, whether or not you, you excel, you, know, you speak to your professors, you reach out, you be aggressive and, and really just keep putting yourself out there and reaching out there to, to try to get the opportunity. Amazing. You can. So your network is really where you kind of start and really where you get the best opportunities from? For everyone, not for me. I, uh, your, your network is, is really what gets you ahead. 100%. 100%. Um, and how did your experience in residential assets at the Moynian Group prepare you to be a president and a principal? While I was working at Moynian, I, uh, I was lucky enough to have uh, a job with uh, a lot of responsibilities, um, you know, overseeing uh, a management team, a leasing team, um, the staffing of the building, uh, there were already standard operating procedures um, that were put in place before I was there. So when I you know, got that job, 
Um, there was already stuff in place that, that I knew the systems and how everything needed to be implemented. We had weekly meetings that mm -hmm. we'd go over, um, lease renewals, pricing, um, you know, upcoming vacancies, um, you know, meeting leasing brokers outside of, of our in-house leasing team uh, to understand where pricing is headed, to understand where the market is, um, just doing that and going over, you know, working with different teams and being able to manage it or manage those teams helped me, you know, be Great. able to become a, a manager and a, a founder of a, of a brokerage firm. Amazing. So you think you had a very diverse experience within all aspects of the business. And this is kind of what prepared you to be a dynamic individual as a, as a principal and as a founder. Yeah, I would say, I would say, you know, having, having that experience of managing people mm -hmm. at a young age and having a lot of responsibility that was given to me. Um, I was again, very lucky to have it, but yeah, it, it definitely helped. And you managed everything all at once, or was it like you kind of went through phases where you kind of focused on asset management and then you focused on other things? So the, the, the originally I'd say I was working on the rental portfolio. Um, there were already rental buildings that were in place that were built and we were just, you know, going over the regular, again, like I said, the renewals, the leasing any issues with the building, any capital improvement projects. Mm. But then Joe started developing more uh, ground up development. Yep. So interesting part of that was being in the pre-development meetings, meeting with the architects, right. meeting with the consultants, um, understanding you know what you should build for certain neighborhoods, what type of apartments. Um, a few of them were 80-20 buildings, learning about that and understanding how that process worked was very interesting. So. Getting into the development part or pre-development part was, was really interesting. That was sort of, I'd say, the second part of, of what I did. And then obviously once the building was leased and it was, uh, you know, stabilized, you know, you just go back to the original plan that you already had working. Um, and then later on, while I was working there, <clears throat> Joe decided to develop some condos. Mm. The condo market was very hot. Booming. at the yeah. time <clears throat> excuse me um and so he did uh three condo projects at the time 20 west street which was the former downtown athletic club um atelier at 635 west 42nd street which was about just under 500 apartments and the w new york downtown at 123 washington which was just over 200 hotel rooms and 223 condominiums above. So Amazing. towards the latter part of my time there, I was focusing on the condominium Great. of the business. Amazing. And <clears throat> how, how would you say, how important have your sales skills been throughout your commercial real estate career? And would you say this is kind of what set you apart from the competition? Sales skills are not just important for me. It's, it's important for everyone, right. no matter what industry um, you're in or no matter what you're doing, you're, you're always selling whether or not you understand. For example, you reached out to me about this podcast. Right. You sold yourself yep. and you sold this podcast yep. and you were good at it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I sell and lease real estate. You know, dad sells diamonds. Right. Um, but no matter what, whether if, if you're an accountant, right, and you try to get the business, you have to sell yourself. Of Granted, course. yes, you have relationships, but you're, you're constantly selling. So sales is the most important part of the business. Mm -hmm. um, how do we differentiate ourselves? 
Um, as a business, I have uh, a partner, Tony Park, who's Korean. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have another partner, Francesco Baradazzi, who's Italian. Um, I think we created a bit of a, a niche business in how we sell ourselves to, to uh, owners and operators and sellers, explaining to them that we can bring a different type of buyer, different type of client to the market mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't necessarily have access to. Right. Um, there's obviously a big pool of buyers and, and renters here and, and companies that are doing, that are leasing. Um, and everyone fights over that pool. Not to say that nobody fights for the pool of, of international right. buyers that we have, but, but we at least have, you know, boots on the ground, people over there, connections, direct right. connections. Um, and how do I differentiate myself? You know, my style is just being honest. I, right. I don't mess around. I don't, come up with inflated numbers i tell people you know what the numbers are and this is how it is and this is how i see it happening and and i just try you know not try i'm, I'm honest with what i sell amazing uh and i want to ask about your grad school experience at baruch um so you did your master's in real estate development mm -hmm. what would what prompted you to make this decision and looking back what do you think it was worth it I decided to do it, uh, it was around the time where I think Lehman collapsed, uh, the economy was going in directions that, you know, nobody knew what was what was happening. Uh, I still had a job, but, you know, I, I wanted to expand my horizons. Um, there were certain things, you know, being doing what I did, uh, I was so focused on one part of the business, I'd say that there were certain things or skill set skills or skill set mm -hmm. that I didn't have that I wanted to to get um you know understanding even more about development law modeling right. understanding how to how to look at a deal and analyze a deal properly at that time you know they were we were going over CMBS loans mm -hmm. and, and learning that and I I wasn't exposed to that I'd say much of the so much of the financing side um, so I'd say on that, it was, on that end, it was very helpful. Great. Um, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, but the people you meet, the connections you make, uh, the network you create, again, whether it's students or professors or teachers, is great. It's something that I think everyone needs to always look at how to expand their network. Uh, for me, I met a couple of people in that program that were great that I'm still in touch with that great. we try to do deals with. I have one specific friend who, you know, I speak to him every other week and, and we share deals and try to work together and we meet for lunch, you know, once a month, once every two months, he's a close friend of mine and it, it worked out great. That's the, amazing. The connections you make are, are key. That's great. And would you recommend somebody do this straight out of college, do a program like this or kind of get a couple experiences, uh, years of experience under their belt and then do the program? There's no better experience than getting real life work experience. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate of, of getting a job and, and working and learning there. Um, no matter what, you'll always learn more being on the job or doing the job than you will in school. Of course. So I would recommend somebody get a job, start working, know, learn what you want, see what you like, mm -hmm. see what's interesting to you and use the, 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 the school, the secondary schooling as, as to Boost. see how you can complement, you know, what you're missing. Right. Uh, 
help you and and just expand you know what what you're working on and expand your horizons amazing and what do you think you'd be doing career-wise if not commercial real estate i think finance i studied finance in school at that time i'd say around the time i was in college everyone was in finance but my generation of you know people graduating was when people started getting into more into real estate right. private equity real estate um People were syndicating more and more deals at that time. I'd say it was the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but I think something, you know, related Within to finance. Wall Street. Um, you know, everyone was buying stocks. Obviously, you know, the, there was a big dot-com bubble and, and crash at that right. time, which, which made everybody, you know, lose a lot of money. But right. everyone was just following the stock market right. at the time. It was the big interest. So 100%, yeah. I think that. Great. Um, and how did you learn the skills associated with being a leader? Is this something you were born with or is this something you developed as you went through your career? I'd say both. Um, you know, being a leader sometimes means, you know, putting yourself out there, being the first one to, to do something, taking chances, um, standing up against the current or, 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 you know, standing up against, you know, what's, what you think is wrong, it depends what type of leader, what type of position you're in. Right. Um, I was, I guess, captain of my high school teams, whatever I played in always. Um, and I wasn't the best player, but I don't know. I think I, I cared the most. I, I put the most into it. I showed I cared about other people. Took responsibility. I always took responsibility. Um, and I, I always put myself, you know, I put put the team first, but I... I put myself out there. I, I left everything on the line. Um, so I'd say it was, it was, I, don't know, I guess it's a little natural and a little you learn on the way. And, and you know, that sort of transfers and, and carries over to, to business. Yep. Um, and, you know, so some of the things you constantly learn on the way as you do it. Um, but as a good leader, you also have to make sure that you, listen to the people that you work with um understand what what their goals are it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing or doing what they want right. but but you have to understand you know what what your team is looking for you have to put a, a straight uh, a, a direction a message of, of where you're looking to go and and a game plan of, of how to get there great and how important do you think it is to be kind and gentle as a leader and still prevent yourself from you know still establish that sense of authority within your company? I think it's important to be kind. I mean, you know, I've, I've dealt with, uh, I've seen, dealt with, you know, a lot of people who, everyone is, 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 has been kind. There's no one that, that comes in and just, you know, decides to, I don't want to use bad, bad right. language. You know, <laughs> some, no one wants to come in and just be, you know, grumpy and, and, yeah. and, 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 and like that. You know, everyone, everyone wants to be, uh, a kind leader and a fair leader, um, but you still need to be demanding. There is a, a fine line. Um, I sometimes, you know, people try to take advantage of, of, of my kindness and, yeah. and I let it go sometimes, but at a certain point you have to really just be firm and say, listen, you know, don't, don't take my, don't overtake my kindness. Right. Don't take advantage of my kindness by, by thinking that, you know, you can walk all over me. Yeah. Walk, walk all yeah. over me. Exactly. It's, it's not the way it is. You 100%. need to do it this way. And, you know, if you, if you don't agree and you don't want to do it, then, you know, this might not be the right place for you. 100%. And 
What's the best way to fire someone, but also kind of help them and help them improve? My uncle worked on 47th Street in the jewelry business, and he told me a story once. It's, it's funny, it just, just came to my head that you brought this up. Um, that he caught kid that was working for him stealing i don't know some jewelry or diamond or mm -hmm. something like that remember he told me this i was probably in high school or something like did you call the police did you you know fire him you know what'd you do did you get him arrested and he's like no he's like i sat him down i explained to him why what he's doing is wrong um he didn't give him a second chance he right. wasn't like you know you're gonna be, be be working here but but he he really just tried to take it as a, as a learning opportunity or teaching opportunity for the kid because he was he was younger um he did fire him but but at the end of the day he he explained to him you know that he could have been ruining his life or doing something not not right so i take that as as a message i i if i fire someone there's obviously a reason why um but having said that you know you don't want bad or something wrong for someone right. you want you want you know what's best for someone so you you explain to them you know it didn't work out for this this reason you know i wish you luck wherever you go but just so you know in my opinion you need to focus on xyz for your next right. endeavor construction criticism yeah um and what's the what's the learning curve in this business how long does it take for someone to really get it and be able to originate and close their own deals there's no real you know if you give me a timeline, I'd say somebody needs to invest, you know, a year to two to really get and understand the business. Some mm -hmm. people could just be natural salespeople. Some people just have, you know, a crazy amount of connections where somebody will be like, okay, you're, you're doing this. I'm going to give my business to you. Right. And he'll just pass it on to the guy that, that does, that executes everything. Right. And he'll just get commissions. Easy. But to really understand the, 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 the canvassing, the cold calling, the, the, you know, painting clients from from A to Z, I'd say, and, and really be able to transact and understand what you're doing properly, I'd say it's about a year to two years. Got it. Great. And do you think a broker should start out as an analyst to kind of understand exactly what they're doing before they move into originations, or should they move directly into originations? I wouldn't say an analyst, you know, specifically, but you need to know what you're selling. You need right. to understand, you know, the, the X's and or the, the, the numbers behind uh, a real estate deal. You can't just tell somebody, oh, this is a great deal because it's a whatever cap yeah, and, you know, enough. it's just, it, it doesn't work that way. You need to understand why. You need to understand if the rents are inflated or not. You need to understand if there's upside. You need to understand if, if you know, they need to invest additional money in the deal to make it work. Um, you know, to just be able to come in and say, oh, I have this great deal right. and not be able to explain why, uh, I don't think it will work. So right. I, I don't think you have to be an analyst, but you need to at least understand what you're doing. 100%. And how do you maintain good relationships with other brokers and other brokerage firms to encourage future collaborative business? Honesty. Don't overpromise. You know, tell everyone how it is. Uh, I have XYZ client. Let's work together. Do a couple of deals right. first, you know, gain the trust. But... You know, always just be honest. If you have someone, you know, if, if, if your guy's not going to come through or he's shaky, you just, you got you to gotta tell them. Uh, a lot of my close, close friends uh, in life, 
are other brokers and you know just we trust each other and sometimes they'll send me a deal that they don't put on the market right. just knowing that they could trust me and they know and, and i'll tell them in the beginning i'll say listen i have uh you know they'll say i have a deal and i'll say listen i know who your buyers are my buyers are different send me this deal and i will i will tell you before i send this deal who i'm going to send right. it to um so as long as you have that 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 trust level between you know yourself and and and, and another broker i think and a way to get there is to be 100 percent honest upfront with everything all yeah, just, negotiations just, every every business just, transaction. just be honest just be upfront. you know come through with what you say um don't mess around don't break the trust because if you break the trust once on a broker or yeah. someone you know there's there's not going to be much of a reason for right. them to deal with you. 100%. What do you think is the secret to effective negotiation? <laughs> There's many different type of uh, negotiators, um, depending where in the world you're from. Right. Um, but in reading books, you know, about famous or very successful business entrepreneurs or business leaders, um, in real estate and, you know, in other types of businesses, um, and seeing firsthand how, how people negotiate, I think, um, you really have to understand again, what the other side wants, um, what makes them happy, what's their reason for transacting, uh, what will make them want to transact. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's price fine, but, right. but there's sometimes there's something other behind price. Um, and once you're able to to solve that issue for them, I think it 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 gets you ahead of the game. Amazing, ahead of other people. Right. Um, what personality traits and what skill sets would you say? Let's say somebody's in high school right now. <clears throat> what should they work on to prepare themselves for what they're about to come against in their career? You need to be prepared to work hard. Mm. Hard work. I don't know. I, I just, you know, I, I see, I don't know if it's just from what I see or what I read, but like, it seems like millennials just like to be behind their phones or, right. or, you know, on the computer and, and, you know, you see these people working in tech and right. working from home and not really, you know, getting to, to travel while they're working. Right. I, I guess if it works, but really you need to really be prepared to, to work hard, to put in the hours, yeah. to, to wake up early, to, work long days, you know, not take lunch, come home late. Right. Um, I'm not saying don't go out with your friends after, right, right. don't have a good time, but you need to really, you know, you want to be successful, you really have to work hard. 100%. Um, what else? And do you think it's a problem with entitlement with the new generation that they think that they kind of deserve success without actually having to put in the work? I don't know if it's a sense of it. Yeah, maybe a little bit. It's a sense of entitlement, but you know, it's what they see. It's, it's, it's people see, you know, I don't know. I see all these, I'm not on TikTok, but I see all these TikToks of people walking around saying, this is what I do in the right. Facebook office. And you know, those it's, it's, you could see people are now getting, you know, Elon Musk is coming to Twitter and he just right. took out 75, yeah, 80% yeah. of the staff because he realized that, that they weren't doing anything. Yeah. So, um, you know, if these other tech companies catch on, then, you know, people are going to start having to get, I wouldn't say real job, obviously it's a real job, but yeah. people are going to have to start understanding that you, this isn't real life. You, yeah. you really have to work. You want to get ahead, you have to work, no matter what you're doing. First you have to work hard. One. You have to, you have to be there. You have to put yourself out there. You have to care, you know, and, and not just work hard, but work, work smart, but 
you really have to work hard. 100%. And I want to I wanna find out how you kind of got the confidence to start your own firm, PD Properties. So what, what point, what shifted where you decided, you know what, I'm going to do this by myself. I'm going to start PD Properties. A lot of it had to do with timing. Um, again, it was, it was around the time of the Great Recession. Lehman had collapsed. Real estate was, was pretty slow. Um, I was still single. Um, I felt like it was time to make a career move. The question was, would I go to a different firm? Right. Would I start off on my own? Um, and really, it was, it was just a matter of, of taking a chance and saying, this was the right time, you know. I don't have any other responsibilities. I'm single. I don't mm -hmm. have a wife. I don't have a family. Right. Uh, I could try it out on my own now. Take if chances. it works, God willing, great. If it doesn't, then I'll figure it out and I'll, I'll, I'll go somewhere. I'll, I'll try to find a, new, a, a job somewhere else. Um, but it was about taking the chance. It was the, the, the timing was right. Um, thank God it worked out. Great. I, yeah. I haven't looked back. And if somebody wants to do exactly what you did and kind of be an entrepreneur and start their own company, do you suggest that they do that straight out of college and kind of learn as they go? Or should they work at a big shop for a couple of years, get the experience under the belt, get their connections under the belt, and then do it? I think to each his own, but if I would, I would suggest if you can, you get a job first, you learn with someone, you have a mentor that's right. going to help you, that's going to teach you. Um, you're you know, around people, you can talk to people. And it's not just talking to, you know, a, a great boss or a very successful boss. It's, it's going to a meeting. It's getting to speak to a plumber, a contractor, a broker. Um, having that access to all these consultants and professionals that have been in the industry for longer than you um, is very helpful. People generally uh, seem to talk to you or be more willing to talk to you if you work for a big firm than, right. than, than if you're just starting out on your own. I'm not saying that someone shouldn't, but... Um, while working at, at, at a big firm or working at a firm, I, I don't, th again, and if you have a job, you need to focus on your job. That's, that's really, you know, you're committed somewhere you have to work, but that's not to say that you shouldn't be thinking about your future while you're at that job. Um, or even currently, you know, you work in real estate, you work for any company, not even a real estate company. Yeah. You work for, um, I don't know, Google or Ernst & Young or whatever, in the jewelry business, you know, you should be thinking, okay, how do I invest my money? How do I learn to, to invest my money into real estate, into something passive, into a tangible asset that, you know, long-term will make money for me when I'm just sitting down and, and working and, you know, I have rent coming in. Um, so you should always be looking and understanding how you can do that even while you're at your main job. So always be creative about what's the best next step for me for my career to be effective and really prepare me, propel me forward. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm, I'm in the now, I understand that I have this job right now and I'm right. gonna give it my all for as long as I'm here. But I, if, if I'm here and I wanna be, you know, up here right. or in this location, in, in, in this part of my life in five years, what do I need to do over the next three, four years um, with, you know, my skill set, what I'm learning, what I'm understanding, what I wanna do, and how is what I'm doing now going to help me get to where 100%. I want to be? Great. And um, so walk us through what PD Properties is. What's the long-term vision for this company? And what gap did you fill in the market with this company? Let's start with what PD Properties is or started out as, and mm -hmm. then ask me the, the rest of the okay. questions again so I don't forget. Okay. Um, 
PD Properties is a small, uh, I'd say, a boutique uh, real estate and advisory firm that was founded by myself and my partner, Tony Park. Um, we started off focusing on the local New York community. And, and, and again, everything changes. And, you know, thank God it's worked well. But I'll tell you how we started and where we're getting to. Um, Tony's background was actually in the ATM machine company and uh, credit card processing. He had a lot of access to retailers because he was um, supplying the retailers with ATMs and doing their credit card merchant processing. Um, He knew who wanted to open new stores. He knew what stores numbers were. He understood that, you know, this store on 27th and 7th was making XYZ. Um, So he was able to convert those clients into uh, retail clients. At the same time, I had a lot of connections through, you know, my my job, through networking, through my network of of knowing a lot of landlords. Mm-hmm. So we said we would, you know, start a brokerage company that way. Um, our focus was originally on, uh, you know, Korean retailers from his community, um, and we started off with leasing. From leasing, we went to, you know, you could if you're a retailer and you have you buy a building with. Uh, vacant retail you can put your retail in and get an sba loan a small business administration loan and you could buy the building and own the building collect rent uh from tenants upstairs and pay your mortgage instead of rent so we kept that we started doing uh commercial sales as well um we were bringing clients from we were working with clients from korea that were looking to open as well so that sort of opened up the, the the korean door the international door for us um francesco then joined us a few years later francesco is from florence and he started working with you know the the italian expats here Mm. and you know all the italian restaurateurs and and businessmen that were looking to open and expand you know started coming to him so we had you know sort of the the korean desk and and the italian desk um we had uh, a chinese person that was the the chinese desk and we still work we we don't have currently a, a chinese a broker, but we still have, you know, a Chinese desk, right. I'd say, of, of, of clients that we work with. Um, and while doing that, we also had uh, some some relationships with uh, with high net worth individuals, foreigners and, and Korean institutions mm-hmm. that were looking to invest either in debt and equity deals um, in New York and, and in the gateway cities. Uh, Tony and I flew out to Korea a few times. We we met some of uh, the institutional clients that we had um, and through another friend of mine or a connection uh, that I made <clears throat> of someone that I worked with uh, at Moini and we were able to, you know, do, do some some deals with uh, the Korean institutions in the United States, brought, right. brought their equity here. Um, additionally, just, you know, how, how funny stuff is, you know, having the institutional uh, relationships in Korea we actually did a couple of uh, WeWork leases right. in Seoul, and we we were the the company that did the first two or three um, WeWork leases in in uh, Seoul office districts. Yeah, in Seoul. Right. You brought WeWork to South Korea. <clears throat> yeah, we helped. Well, I mean, the real estate team did, but we right, were, right. we we made the introductions. We we were out there. Tony was out there with them for about two weeks, touring Seoul, all the different areas and locations, introducing them to uh, large landlords. Um, showing them, you know, the Class A buildings over there, and amazing, yeah. great. And what's the long-term vision for this company? 
Um, I'd say we'd like to, you know, uh, our bread and butter has always been, you know, what we started off with, um, but we'd like to expand, get bigger. We'd like to do more, uh, both institutional work, continue to do institutional work, um, do some larger deals or focus on larger deals. I'm not saying that we won't do the previous deals that we did. Yeah. We're just, you know, working with, with other, uh, new hires and, and uh, we were actually in this crazy time, we're expanding our team right. um, to be able to focus on on larger, um, larger deals. Additionally, you know, we're we're planning and we, we started uh, acquiring some stuff together, and and I think our long term plan is also to get more on the principal side. Amazing. And how do you go about setting <laughs> goals for for yourself and for your company? For myself, just you know writing down where I want to be mm. thinking um, where I want to be, what my plan is again, three years, five years, seven years. Um, what do I want to do? Um, not just deal wise, life wise, family wise, um, but, but business wise, it's, you know, what, what's my goal and where do I want to be? Do right. I want to be a broker the rest of my life? Probably not. Do I want to be on the principal side more? Yes. That's, that's where, um, I, I aim to be and strive to be, and, and, and that's the goal that I'm working Amazing. on. Great. Um, and what's your relationship with struggle in your life? Do you avoid it or do you embrace it? <laughs> Honest answer, I'd say both. Um, I try to avoid it, but it catches up to you. Right. You know, so you, you, you're better off just facing it head on. Um, struggle is natural. Failure is natural. You have to embrace it. Right. <clears throat> when I was when I was in <laughs> when I was in high school, I remember that we we had one team I, I was on, and it was like the first time ever that this team never made the playoffs. Right. <clears throat> and and the senior, my friend, came up to me and he said, "Always remember, all success is built upon failure." Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that sort of some that sort of stayed in my head. You know, you just you have to embrace it. You can't you can't run away from it. Um, I saw this clip on YouTube of Denzel Washington speaking at some commencement speech. And, right. and he said, uh, if you haven't failed, you haven't been trying hard enough. Right. And you really have to take that mentality. It's like you have to push your limit of, uh, and accept failure because that's when you'll reach the right. limit of where you want that's to be. That's where growth is. That's where your growth is. Right. So, so you have to keep pushing. You didn't get this deal for some reason, okay? Right. Uh, it sucks. Understand why. Understand what you need to do. Um, understand that you'll call someone and you'll hang up on you 10 times and maybe on the 11th time you'll catch him on a good day. Right. <clears throat> Sorry. So you think that when people reach <clears throat> this point, this, this breaking point, that's kind of really where they make their biggest growth experience. That's kind of really where they learn the most. Yeah. I mean, you know, if something just comes easy for you, you're never going to be learning, right? right. You're just going to think it comes easy and that's in everything in life. So, right. you know, you, you're probably going to reach out to uh, a few hundred people to right. try to do this podcast right. and some people won't respond. Um, and you're not just going to accept that you're not going to respond because you don't right. have a podcast. So right. you're going to keep reaching out to exactly. these people until you get it. And, and that's what you have to do. You just can't accept it. Persistency, for sure. Um, so I want to ask about your opinion on New York City. What, what neighborhood do you think has the most potential right now in New York City? I don't know if it has the most p 
potential per se, but but you really see a lot of. I mean, the potential is there. Uh, I really think the Upper East Side, since they put the Second Avenue subway, mm-hmm. uh, really transformed. Uh, I I personally grew up there, so I have you know a, a bias towards it. But if if you see just the, the amount of new development going up there, um, the quality of the development, right. the type of developments that are going up there are really beautiful buildings, really high end stuff. Um, the retail, excuse me, the restaurant tours or the retailers that would never be caught dead on the Upper East Side are right. all pushing to get there right Fuck now. There. Yeah. Um, there's lines at the door on, uh, for, for, for great restaurants, for great retail. Um, I think the pandemic obviously really helped the retailers up there as well. Um, obviously, the subway access helped, helped the Upper East Side, um, but just on, on a development side, I'm not saying it's the most potential, but, but I just see a lot going on there right now that's very interesting got it and let's say there's a there's a weak market going on let's say there's a bad market <clears throat> how do you make money in a bad market if there isn't a bad market now but if there isn't there is but right. it's it's probably going to get a little worse before right. it gets better i think an immediate example that you can really look at is covid and you know the business was was going well and then just you know one day just fell off a cliff right and there were certain people and companies that really grabbed the bull by the horns and you know said i'm not gonna sit at home not just gonna accept this i'm gonna really hustle even more um and and people did that and i think it was a a great example of of you know some companies that just literally called every retailer and just moved them around and did a ton of deals um and you just have to remain aggressive you someone the other day came to my office and like, uh, you know what? I just hope I get a couple of big deals done and then I could just sit on the side while, while you know, the, the, the recession or, or the bad market comes. I said, that's not the way to look at it. You, you really have a real opportunity to, to succeed and make a lot of money, of but you really have to put your time and effort into it. My partner, Tony, again, just, just using him as an example um on a real estate end, you know, he was, he, we, we were in the city every day. We were still going into the office even in, in March and, April when there was a closure um, and he'd be like, Hey lad, come, come look at this deal. Come, come check out this deal. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like who's, who's, who's going to occupy this building right, right now? And he's like, no, we, we should buy it. It's, it's really cheap. And on that one, he, he bought it on his own and, and you know, he has, he's filled up the building already. Right. So you have to be opportunistic and, and, and think of where there's, there's uh, an ability for you to make money. But, but you know, in a down market, you have to think opportunistically and, you have to find find that's where people really make money that's where you Great. make real money yeah so in the hardest times in the market that's really where the opportunities kind of present themselves yeah and you have to be able to take advantage of them you have to take advantage of it i mean you, you need to have some sort of equity or, or cash behind right. you but yeah you need to you need to find the deals and and, and get into them 100 percent. what has been the most difficult point in your career and how did that shape you as an individual from that point on i think there are a couple times uh one obviously was covid um, again, business was great. You know, you're living in, in city with you know on the Upper East Side, right. and, you know, three kids and business is rolling, and then suddenly there's a closure, and you're like, yeah, oh my like god, well, what am I gonna do? <laughs> yeah. um, I'd say that was a really tough time. I, I, I still, again, went to the office every day, and I'd call, and we we did a, a couple of of deals, uh, mostly small deals, but but we kept busy. Um, 
but it gave us an opportunity to also, you know, expand our Rolodex. I think everyone was bored, so everyone was willing to speak to anyone right. about business and about everything. So we're able to, you know, expand our network, uh, more connections. I think the other time was, you know, when I, I made the decision to start on my own. It was just, uh, it was a real risk. And, you know, you didn't know where it was going to go. And, you know, you can have a plan and you plan well, well, well. And, you know, either it happens or, you know, they say you plan and God laughs. Right, but, exactly. You know, that I'd say taking that risk of going off on your own is, is a big risk. But, you know, if, if you put the time and the work in, uh, God willing, it works out. And, uh, you know, if, if you, you need luck too. It's not, yeah. it's not just hard work. You need luck. Um, and I'd say, you know, it, it worked out. Thank God. Amazing. Great. And <laughs> your business partner, Tony, walk us through the story of how you guys met and how you guys decided to kind of work together. <laughs> I was working at Moynian at the time. Um, I was working on the W downtown. Um, and it was, again, around the time Lehman collapsed, the, the financial world was right. up on its head. There was no sales. Uh, in Manhattan, no one was buying mm -hmm. anything. Um, there was nothing really going on, and in came... Tony to the sales office and said, <clears throat> I'm going to sell these five apartments for you. Said, no, you're not, but great. Right. You know, I'd love to see it. And he said, within two weeks, I'm going to sell it. And he came back two weeks later, lo and behold, with uh, um, five contracts and, and checks. Wow. Um, and so we just started speaking. And again, he has an interesting background. At the time, he, he owned a, a very uh, hot nightclub. Um, so, you know, we started hanging out and we went to Korea together to try to um, sell the building to mm. an institutional partner. So we, we got comfortable with each other um, and just, you know, while we, we spoke and, and understood that, you know, there's, there's potential for us to do stuff together. Um, the market again was, was just dead. There wasn't much going on. Right. Um, it wasn't immediate. It took about, I think, like a year and a half or two years um, for us to to get something done, but that's that's how we originally met, and we just we just decided to to try something. It, it wasn't like this is going to be exactly what our business is. It was, hey, let's do something, try something, yeah. and and let's see where it goes. Right, hundred <clears> percent. <throat> and how do you vet business partners? What's what's a telling sign that you shouldn't work with someone? I think the main thing with a business partner is you need to know you can trust them. Yeah. Um, for the beginning or the first I don't know, long time of our partnership, mine and Tony's partnership was based off of a handshake. Mm. Um, we had to put it in writing down the line for, for certain reasons, which was nothing against not trusting each right. other. Just uh, it made sense. But, you know, having that ability to, to trust someone blindly off of a handshake, knowing that, you know, you're going to be there for him. He's going to be there for you is, is, is how I would say they don't know what what not to look for is, you know, someone, if you can't trust the person blindly like that, just you shouldn't be partners with them. Right, 100%. And do you think it's important to kind of watch how people keep their word and how people um, act and not what people say? Yeah, actions speak louder than words. I know it's cliche to say that, right, but, but it's, it's, it's really true. Um, you You need to see what people are 
you need to see what people are doing when you're not around or you need right. to hear what people are like when you're not around right. to make sure that they're not just putting on a show or, or you know putting on a face and i'll give you that advice you need to make sure when you're going to find the wife that that's the same thing right. also but uh 100%. but yeah just in general you know a partner a life partner a business partner yeah, it's, it's, it's all it's all the same you got to look at it the same way got it um, and who were your role models and people you looked up to when you were coming up in the industry? See, the main person was Joe because mm. I, I was around him all the time, right. and I, I got to see, um, I got to see him in action every day. Um, what was? It, it's it's an amazing story. He came here to the country as. Hope you interview him, and he tells you the story, right. but. Um, he came here as a as a young immigrant on his own without his family and you know went into the, the fashion business and started buying real estate from right. his money in the fashion business and from buying real estate some people you know just just buy and sell and operate real estate but he actually took it a step further and a step up and and became a developer and mm. has developed some some amazing buildings in the city so you know being there for for part of that story was was great and you know he was a great teacher and definitely a Great role model, someone to look up to in, in what he's accomplished and done. And how important was that that mentorship and that relationship between you and Joe? And do you think this is what gave you most of your skills that you have today? Uh, being there definitely gave me uh, a certain skill set that, that, that helped me in yeah. my career and life. Um, seeing how he handled and navigated certain situations um, was definitely good to see and a great yeah. learning experience. Um, you don't just learn from from one person or one place. You have to look at you know everything as as a learning experience. You have to speak to people and you know just reach out for advice. Right. Talk to people. You know people people want to help. Right. Of course. Older people want to help younger people and show them the ropes and 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 just you know help people succeed. So there's always going to be haters out there and people, but right. in general, people want to help. So always reach out, always try, uh, send letters, send emails, cold emails, whatever. Can you meet me for coffee for 15 minutes? Right. Do you have time for a call? Can, can I ask you a question? People are out to help. Great. And what, what value do you think a young professional should provide to someone like you or Joe or whoever to kind of offer them value upfront so that they're more inclined to help them out? There's not necessarily mutual value mm. that uh, I'm not saying that trying to say that in any way in an arrogant way. I'm not saying it for me, but for someone else, you know, yeah, yeah. You try to reach out to, I don't know, any big person, you try to reach out to Steven Schwartzman right. or Blackstone, yeah. you know, what value you're going to add for yeah. nothing. You yeah. know, it's, it's just going to be more of, of them trying to wanting to, to help out and, and having the opportunity to speak to someone and, and help out. And do you think young professionals that offer kind of like energy and this inquisitive nature about them is kind of what um, industry veterans kind of value? Yeah, see? definitely. You know, show that show that you're interested. Um, show that you know what you're talking right. about. Don't just come in blindly, you know, right. be at least, you know, somewhat uh, well-informed or well-read well about the subject that you're going to be talking about. Even if you're there to learn, you know, you can ask... You can read a lot, but you can still get a lot of, you know, insightful details and, and information from someone. Uh, but, you know, don't don't waste someone's time by just uh, not knowing what you're going to talk right. about or, or, or not know the, the, the subject. 
uh, that you're you're there to discuss or so have good questions on. prepared before yeah, you have 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 good questions you know say some details that you you know that you right. can explain you know i know this 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 show that you've spent your time on your own into right. this um and you're really interested in it right and um so i want to ask more about um specific things within re uh, commercial real estate so what what are your thoughts on the rising popularity of real estate private equity deal structures and um, do you think this trend will continue to grow in the coming years? Yeah, as long as uh, there's always people that want to invest in real estate. Right. Um, as long as, you know, people are making money in real estate. Um, and as long as, you know, on, 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 the, on the sponsor side, as long as, you know, they can raise money and take right. other people's money, that's always going to stay. Right. Um, and maybe not at this specific moment, but long-term, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, a dentist, a doctor, uh, an accountant, uh, whatever, is, is going to want to invest in real estate, right? right? It's passive income. It's a tangible asset. You know, the market goes up and down, but long-term, if you're buying something for, you know, 10 years, you, you generally should be up on, uh, on your acquisition if you have a long-term horizon. You get some, you know, money on the side while doing it. Um, so I definitely think real estate, private equity will stay. Um, probably expand. I also think um those those crowdsourcing yeah. websites make it even easier for for companies to raise money so yeah. i think it's more accessible um for people to raise money and more accessible for people to to invest so i definitely think there's there's a long-term future right. in private equity do you think um so for the next 10 to 20 years almost everyone's going to have access to investing in real estate like for example large developments in, in manhattan or something like that where everyone kind of has access to invest even uh, you know I, I don't necessarily know about large developments in manhattan um but you have seen you know new york-based crowdsourced right. deals crowdfunded deals yep. um the business has 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 done well you know I mean, obviously there are certain deals that that go south um and will not necessarily or generally not as a result of of the, the company doing the right. crowdsourcing um but yeah, as long as people have an opportunity to invest in an asset that they like, whether it's a development which you know is high risk, high yeah. reward, or just you know something stable that's going to give you five, six percent on your money, and you 100%. just you know you're part of a triple net leased asset or, right. or just a rental building that that has income, you know people as if people have access to it, they're going to invest in it. Hundred percent. And what real estate asset class or property type do you see potential for in the coming decade? Define potential, you know, like what do I think is going to continuously be successful? Um, no, like what's, what's, what's down now and not and underappreciated now that in the next 10, 10 to 20 years can be seen in a different light. For example, like office, office buildings. You can't really tell. I mean, people are very down on office right now. Um, will it change? Maybe a little. Um, mm -hmm. Class A office is obviously always going to be good. Yeah. Class B office, I think some of that will need to be converted into residential right. or some different right. use because um, work from home, I won't say it's here to stay, but but there's definitely something there. Um, people always come to Manhattan, I think, you know, as long as the government doesn't, you know, do continue to do stupid stuff and push people out. Right. But, um, but work from home is here to stay. You, you need more residential um space or apartments in the city so so there's a good reason to to start allowing certain conversions i mean it's similar to and i i wasn't 
in the industry back then. Um, I was sort of there at the tail end, mm. um, but in the financial district in the in the late '90s, all these Class B uh, office buildings were vacant, right. and and uh, I think it was the Giuliani administration that came in with a plan, um, the 421G tax abatement, which offered uh, landlords an incentive, a tax incentive, to convert Class B office building into apartments. Um, it was a very successful program. A lot of buildings downtown are now converted. I think it. I think it added ten to fifteen thousand, maybe some some. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the number, but something like that, like real units. It turned it into a neighborhood as opposed to a ghost town, which it was apparently in 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 the mid nineties. Right. And again, I was too young. I never went down there, but but I remember, you know, when I first worked for Joe, I was working on some of the projects down there, in, you know, the year two thousand, right. and, and you could see the real transformation of what it was versus what it is now. Um, so I think that's going to have to be done in, in, you know, Midtown in these central office districts, um, that have class B space that right now, uh, no one's leasing. And, right. you know, if, if, if for a lease to be done, it's probably going to cost, you know, 20 bucks a foot, but you know, your operating costs are higher than 20 bucks a yep. foot. So, so something has to be done there. So do you think these tax incentives are really how the government can step in and amend situations and cause real change? Definitely. I mean, you know, every time that the government doesn't renew the 421A, right. there's no development. And yep. then, you know, you're behind the curve again. Yep. And, and there's no development. And then you have a shortage of housing and a shortage of, of low-income or mid-income housing. And then you bring it back and you get development and, and the cycle just exactly. goes over and over. Yep. Just, you know what you need to do. Unfortunately, politics and the rabble-rousers, you know, get get their say right um so i want to ask what's what's been your favorite deal that you've ever worked on I'll tell you a deal i've been a a part of or a couple of deals um one was an investor and you know someone who early on before my, my friend uh, principal uh, acquired it um it's a property in washington heights uh that was a marketed deal it was a self-operated parking lot um, that was self-managed and was getting some cash flow and a school that was on a month-to-month -month lease. And it was acquired for $20 million, um, but everyone looked at it only as a development site, mm. which it was. Um, what my friend, the principal, um, did was he negotiated the month-to-month -month lease with the board of ed the city um to a long-term 15-year lease okay created value in the building as a as a long-term triple net leased asset got a good rent on the property got the valuation of that building to about if i remember correctly about 20 million which is what he bought the entire development right. site for yeah. refied and took out about 16 to 17 million dollars when with transferring the air rights there's about a 200,000 square foot development site mm -hmm. there that you know we're now in it for you know basically nothing that's great so that's that's one deal that that i i really liked that i was a part of another deal um it was during covid uh me tony and francesco saw a building in murray hill uh, a corner building that was for sale, also a marketed deal. Um, 
but it was during COVID and everyone was scared. Uh, the retail was vacant and I'd say the, the broker or everyone that looked at the deal had undervalued what the retail was worth. Mm. Um, we had an exclusive a few blocks from there on something similar in size. And we, <clears throat> excuse me, we saw the clients. We had been meeting a lot of clients. We knew what it was worth and we knew that the retail was worth right. a lot more than what the seller was valuating at valuating uh <clears throat> valuing i'm sorry valuing the retail up for so we went into contract we had a few retailers we had a bidding war on the retail um and when we closed we had a retailee signed with a great retailer at i'd say about at about you know 25 30% over oh, wow. in the retail value over what was wow. anticipated <clears throat> or underwritten that so great. There was immediate value add that that we were able to to create there. That's awesome. Um, on that deal. And how would you describe your investment strategy now, and how has it changed over time? We're much more value add mm. based and understanding, right. um, understanding what's needed for value add, and understanding really knowing where we can add value right. with our expertise, primarily with the retail connections right. we have. Um, knowing what retail rents are worth, knowing you know that we have a re if we have a retailer in our back pocket, um, just so you know, a lot of landlords that that I work with before they buy stuff, you know, again, it's it's all about trust. Um, they'll say to me, "Hey, lad, please don't tell anyone. We're looking at this deal. Right. What is the retail worth? And do you have a retailer?" And very often, you know, just uh, I, obviously, I, I, we have a, a meeting amongst ourselves within our team, and we say, "Listen, this guy's going to buy this." Who do we have for him and what can we get them? So um, <clears throat> forget ourselves, it, landlords, buyers, private equity companies, they a lot of them do bounce ideas off us, um, both with valuation mm. when they're underwriting deals and seeing if we can you know, bring the retail and add that immediate value for them um, at closing. 100%. And, and, and how does creativity play a role in, in real estate? Can you think back to a time um, <clears throat> where you kind of came up with a out of the box solution? I, I used to share an office with my my cousin, uh, Johnny Zamir, who's, who's like my brother. Um, and he was doing real estate, private equity, and mm -hmm. raising money for deals and looking right. at deals. And, you know, when he'd look at a deal, he'd always, you know, ask my opinion or just, you know, we just mess around and, and, and talk through deals. And uh, he was looking at one deal, uh, 202 Canal Street which was a marketed deal. It was owned by uh, ICBC Bank. Um, I think same thing. It was sort of a month-to-month -month lease. It mm. was a sale lease back with maybe they were taking, uh, they were going to do a month-to-month -month lease or something like that, but it, it, was a, it was a partial sale lease back. Mm. Um, but the building ultimately would be de uh, delivered, would, would be vacated a certain amount of time. Um, and everyone just looked at it at a certain way. And you know what my... my my cousin really thought out of the box here and he, he called the bank and it's the same thing with the negotiating, right? right. It, you know, you have to understand the other party, the other party and what they want. So he, right. he had, he had, he had a connection or he, he reached out to someone at the bank and said, listen, I'm looking at this building. Um, <clears throat> please explain to me what you're understanding. What do you really want? I know you want a certain price, but what do you really want? Do you want yeah. to stay in the building? Do you want to stay upstairs? Do you want to stay downstairs? And he understood that the bank 
didn't want the upstairs of the building, yeah. but they wanted to stay in the retails. They had a very, very high amount of deposits, and it was, it, was, it was a great location for them. So he had been speaking to them. He had negotiated a, similar to what my friend did at Edgecombe, but he negotiated a 15-year lease with the bank great. for the retail. Realized that if he bought the building and condoed the building and mm -hmm. separated it, he could sell the retail based off of the income on a, on a cap rate, mm. on a triple net lease deal. That's great. He could sell it for basically the purchase price of the building. Right. Um, so that's what he did. He negotiated a 15-year lease. He was awarded the deal. He came, he, he came in, obviously he also came in higher than the other bidders. Right. Uh, I don't think anyone understood how he was able to come so high. Right. But he had this lease that he, he really thought out of the box, and he had this lease in his back pocket um, that was really able to create extra value out of thin air that nobody saw. And that's really how you're able to, to separate yourself or differentiate that's yourself awesome. on, on deals. You have to really out think of out of the box. Um, so what, what drives you nowadays? Is it money, personal achievement, family, philanthropy? And when would you say you've succeeded? Family drives me hmm. the most. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a uh, beautiful, lovely wife and, and four amazing kids. I love every minute of the day I have with them. I do, most of the stuff I do is, is, is for them, for our family. Um, you know, I, I work hard to be able to, you know, provide for for them and for my kids for for their future right. um i'd say that's what really motivates me the most i guess you could I won't say money but you know that's part yeah, of yeah. that's part of what you need to do yeah. um philanthropy is is very important uh, i think everyone should should be involved to the to the extent that they can um both with with donating but just as important uh with volunteering or spending time and and if you can't donate then then spend time it's probably it's it's not probably it's even better right. if, if you're able to you know give your time to to a certain cause and really go out of your way and help people so i think philanthropy is is very important as well yeah amazing and i have my final questions wrap it up sure what advice would you give your 22 year old self about life business and relationships put yourself out there mm. meet people don't be shy right. um I was definitely still shy or, you know, back then I was, I was shy. I didn't put myself out there as much as I could have. Right. Um, I had my closer and, and not to say that I wouldn't talk to, to people, but you know, you have your close friends and you should always have your, your close group of friends, of but, but you should always be out there. You should be networking. You should be meeting people. You should be setting goals for yourself three, five, seven years and, and always thinking and, and, and looking back and, and saying and thinking forward, but right. saying, what am I doing now to get myself to where I need to be three, five, seven years from now? Um, is it always going to happen to plan? No, but, but you, you need to set goals for yourself. Um, you need to, to keep meeting people. That's, it's really just, just networking. I can't emphasize how important networking is. Right. And, and there's a way to do it. There's, you know, some people just go to networking events and hand out business yeah, cards yeah. and, uh, you know, Not to, to each his own, you know, it's do it in your own way, figure out what works for you. Um, but do it right. And, you know, some people, again, like to just, you know, 
do guerrilla marketing and just really just go everywhere. And some people, you know, have, you know, three, four conversations with good people that you can cultivate into right. something really long-term and, and, and helpful. Um, and, and yeah, and, and always think about, uh, you know, your, your financial independence. That's, that's look to invest, look at how you can invest, look at how you can get passive income. You know, as I, as I've read, the older I've got or more I read, you know, you keep reading that and it's, it's really true. So, so, you know, whether or not you're working for yourself or, or working for someone, you know, always look at how you can do, you know, something extra. Um, for me, I love being my own boss. I think it's great. Some people don't like that. You know, if, if your goal is, is to work for yourself, you know, then work hard, learn a lot and uh, network. Amazing. Well, this has been a great uh, podcast. I hope so. Thank I really you. hope that young professionals watching this I hope so. will get some I, I, value I would, from this. I would and love to help people if I can, and I appreciate the, Thank you so much. the invitation and the time. Thank really you. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great.